Welcome to Black Warren Reads, a weekly showcase from the authors of current releases from Black Warren Books. All stories read are available for purchase from BlackWarrenBooks.com, Amazon, and wherever ebooks are sold. Thank you for joining in, and enjoy the show. Welcome to Black Warren Reads. On this day, Friday, December 8th, 2023. We apologize for the slight delay, but we have now returned with a mostly intact cast. And tonight we will be continuing On the Air, which is book one of Certified Gold, by David M. DeMar, which is available both at blackwarrenbooks.com and amazon.com. Mr. DeMar, it's all yours. Certified Gold on the Air, Chapter 4. Before I knew it, I was standing in the sub's fourth floor hallway, pacing back and forth in front of the elevators, my stomach up in my throat and pulse throbbing in my temples. I walked down to the end of the corridor and stared at the wall for the fifth time. At a T-section, there was a sign with the numbers 401 through 409 printed on it, accompanied by a left-facing arrow. Right under it was printed 410 through 418, with an arrow pointed right. I glanced down the right hallway. The floor was carpeted in institutional brown, the walls painted a neutral tone of off-white. Turning my head in the other direction revealed much of the same. It was deathly quiet up here, and I hadn't seen another soul since stepping off the elevator almost five minutes ago. This is a bad idea, I thought, turning around again. I looked down the short corridor to the relative safety of the elevator bank. Maybe I should try tomorrow. I took a few steps toward the elevators, uh, not rising in my stomach, before pushing the call button. An unbidden image of Wyndham Summers leapt into my mind, his face a cruel rictus of resentment and scorn. Go on, Ricky. Run away like the little hatchling you are. I snorted and looked away from the glowing button, shaking my head like I was trying to dislodge the image from my brain. Ignore that she-fuckboy, Ricky, Mom's voice rang in my ears like I was still on the phone with her. I didn't raise you to back down to fascist assholes. Get in there and take your shot, Gretzky. I laughed despite myself, imagining each of them on my shoulders dressed in little cartoon angel and devil outfits. The elevator dinged and the doors slid open. I gazed into the empty compartment. My distorted reflection stared back at me from the polished stainless steel wall. A tall, lanky kid with tousled, dirty blonde hair, light brown eyes, tan skin, and dressed in a college-chic denim shorts and a zip-up hoodie over a faded Iggy and the Stooges shirt. Well, that's what what I would have seen if I was human. Instead, my skin, covered in minuscule iridescent scales, shimmered where the light hit them. That, combined with my pointed ears and the slight hint of a vertically slit pupil, was more than enough for other mythics to clock me as draconic. Lucky me, that was all the excuse Summer had needed to give me shit from the very first day of classes. At least he couldn't tell what color I was unless I was in my true form. If you knew that. I bared my teeth at my own reflection, revealing a sharp set of upper and lower incisors. No, I said, I'm not hiding, not this time. I glared at myself as the doors slid back closed, and then I turned around and walked down the corridor, turning right at the T-intersection. 
I walked with purpose, knowing that if I slowed down, I'd lose my nerve immediately. The numbered doors continued climbing as I went, odd ones on the left, even ones on the right. And as I passed room 415, the walls began to be adorned with different framed posters of live music acts. The next door loomed large ahead of me on the right. A large sign had 416, Alora University Radio 96.7 FM WPHX printed in large letters. A line beneath it read, The Home of the Rising Firebirds. There was no window. Taking a deep breath, I reached out and knocked. There was no response. Fighting the urge to cut and run, I knocked again, then waited. Finally, I reached out, grabbed the doorknob, and after a brief struggle with myself, went inside. There was an office on the other side of the door. It was equipped with a beaten-up desk, its top and sides plastered with peeling band stickers. On the surface was a laptop, a phone, and several loose pieces of paper. There was a ratty-looking couch against the left wall with what looked like a crocheted blanket thrown over the back, and the walls were covered with more music posters and even some official-looking plaques. A small speaker installed in the far corner of the ceiling was softly playing some instrumental jazz. To the right of the desk was a doorway leading, le- leading deeper into the studio with a lit on-air sign above it. Hello? My voice sounded tiny, even in the small room. No answer. I fished the tattered flyer out of my pocket and clung to it like a talisman. I was drawn to one of the silver plaques on the wall. Peering closer, I read it aloud. The National Association of College Broadcasters Radio Station of the Year 2021. Huh. Yeah. Not bad, right? I try not to jump at the sound of another person's voice behind me. I like to think I didn't, even though I probably did. Oh, uh... Hi. What looked like an upperclassman, dressed casually in a pair of khakis and a tucked-in polo shirt, was leaning on the doorway. The expression on his dark-skinned face guarded. Can I help you? Oh, no. I, I mean, yeah. I, uh, uh, I felt my ears go hot, but I took a second and steadied my breath. Yeah, um, my, uh, my music theory prof said you guys are looking for help? I waved the ragged flyer in my hand. The student in the doorway relaxed a little. He nodded. Oh, yeah. Oh, we're definitely still looking for people. You, uh, you don't seem like the type of person who feels comfortable behind the mic, though. He paused. Who do you have for music theory? Um, Professor Chen? I shifted uncomfortably. I'm, uh, really interested in audio engineering, you know, board operation and stuff like that. Mm. He gave me an appraising look. Yeah. Let me check something real quick. He walked over to the desk and flipped open the laptop, leaning over it without sitting down, and ran his finger across the trackpad. Well, we've actually got a couple of spots open for board ops, though most of the good slots are filled. He looked up at me. How do you feel about a late night shift on Friday? Hard to find people willing to come in during prime party hours, so we're always hemorrhaging engineers. Uh, how late are we talking? Well, we don't have much coverage during the 2 to 4 a.m. slot. DJ's all right, but a bit of a flake, so long as he's sober. But our engineer is looking to switch out to an earlier sw- slot. You could start training with them that night. 
shadow them for the broadcast, take notes, ask questions? Uh, yeah, I, I think I could do that. Strictly back end stuff. You're right. I really don't feel comfortable talking on air. That's putting it mildly. Definitely. Listen, we're not about to drive off anybody who's willing to pull the graveyard shift. Why don't you come back Friday night, right around midnight? Uh, might want to take a nap beforehand, too. Uh, no drinks allowed when you're in the booth. This includes coffee. Right, yeah, okay, that's a good idea. I nodded. I'll be here this Friday. I turned to go. My knees already felt like they were knocking together. Wait, my man. Uh, haven't gotten your name? I turned back, my ears feeling hotter than ever. Right, sorry, I said. Just, uh, just a little excited, I guess? He laughed, handing me a pen and a pink post-it note. I wrote my name and my number as legibly as I could, hands shaking, and, uh, handed the note to him. He read it. Ricky. Cone. Uh, he repeated it. Cone-axe. That Eastern European? Something like that. And uh, I didn't get your name? Right. I'm Byron, general manager. He held out his hand and I shook it. His grip was warm, professional, strong by human standards. Uh, you probably won't see me Friday night, but I'll let your audio engineer know that newest trainee is coming. Welcome to Allure University Radio, Ricky. Chapter 5 I rode the elevator down to the first floor in a daze. As soon as the doors opened, I rushed out into the crowd of students, weaving my way through the front door and down the steps. The late afternoon sunlight hit me square in the chest, and it took in great gulps of air like I just come up from diving deep in the North Atlantic. Holy shit, I thought. Holy fucking shit, I did it. I grinned, shaking my head in disbelief. I can't believe I did it. I took out my phone and immediately tapped out a text to mom. I got the gig, working the graveyard shift, trading as a board operator. I start Friday night. Barely 30 seconds went by before she wrote back. Fuck yes, Ricky, so proud of you. I smiled and blinked. Mom was sending more messages. We need to talk playlists. What's your target demo? You have freedom to choose artists? You want to come pick up some of your vinyl the apartment? My eyes grew wide as mom continued blowing up my phone. Finally, I got my wits together enough to type out a reply. Mom, slow down. I'm just going to be an audio engineer. Another second, and her reply came through. Yeah, for now, maybe. Come for dinner tonight. Mac and Dags will be there. We can tell them the good news. I winced. I don't know, Mom. I'm kind of busy. I got to study. My phone dinged once more. I'm making Fiskaboller. Reykjavik sent it by courier earlier. Catch of the day. Fresh haddock. Ah, there was no way I could say no to that. Okay, okay, I'll be there. Please don't make a big deal out of it. I got a thumbs up emoji in response. I stuffed my phone back into my pocket. Better than cafeteria food for sure, I thought. I checked the time, did some quick calculations in my head, and set off toward the edge of campus. A few minutes of walking in the afternoon sunlight, and I saw the UTA bus stop ahead of me. A small crowd of students, human and mythic alike, were waiting. I joined the throng, craning my neck to look up the street. A few minutes later, a large commuter bus, already halfway full from the look of it, pulled up to a stop. 
About a dozen people spilled out and went their separate ways. I waited my turn to step up and on, flashing my Allure University student ID at the bored-looking dwarf driving the bus. Most of the seats were taken, leaving just a few here and there with a half-occupied bench. I spied an empty spot, but the adjoining seat was filled by an otherworldly beautiful woman, her bag occupying the other seat. She had a delicately featured face framed by a wild mane of seafoam green hair. A series of long horizontal slits started halfway down each side of her neck and disappeared beneath her shirt. She was leaning back, her eyes closed, a pair of supremely heavy-duty headphones with wood inlays over her ears, murmuring to herself along with the music. A palpable aura hung close to her, thrumming along with her voice. I grinned, watching for a moment before reaching out and grabbing the handrail, just in time for the bus to lurch to a start. I looked away as Allura University University rolled out of sight. Not much changed at first, except for most of the buildings became newer and more expensive looking. We made good time across half a dozen stops as the bus followed the street northwest, with a handful of people getting on and off at each one. Eventually, the woman in her musical trance opened her eyes, checked where we were, and stood up for the next stop, pulling her headphones down around to around her neck. I met her gaze. I see you, soul sea sister, I said to her quietly, slipping into sigil the language of mythics. She blinked and looked at me curiously. Clan Snow wishes you calm seas and pleasant melodies. She beamed at me. Her smile lit up the entire space. May the oceans bring you bounty, she replied in turn reaching out to steady herself on the handrail as the bus began to slow down. Are those a pair of GS-3000Xs, I asked, switching back to English. I pointed to her headphones. She grinned, her eyes sparkling. Ah, you know your stuff, she said. They are, just listening to something I've been working on. It needs some editing before it's ready. I DJ at the palace on weekends. I let out a low whistle. You make enough spinning records at the palace to stag a pair of those? Some serious chatter. She laughed. Sounded like a bubbling brook. Oh, no, that's what I do for fun. I uh, I consult for a bunch of different recording studios in town. My ears are never wrong, and they all know it. She quirked an eyebrow at me. But what are you doing riding the bus, Shoal Serpent? You can't tell me you don't want to stretch your wings? I shrugged. Trying to keep a low profile. My relatives all want a piece of me. You know how it goes. More snakes than a Gorgon hair salon? I get it. The bus ground to a halt. This is me. Always nice to see a friendly face from home. She waved and winked, sashaying past me, humming under her breath. I grinned at her as several humans turned at the sound like they had been hooked by the ears. I took her seat, smiling. A few more moments and the bus was off again. Now the buildings were getting lower, older, and more closely crowded together. Traffic increased, and soon the bus reached another stop. The digital marquee above the driver's head came to life, the word Grundstadt crawling from left to right. I got up, brushed some dirt off my jeans, and hopped off the bus. It took me a second to get my bearings, but as soon as I was soon off in the right direction, walking through a neighborhood that had street names written in both English and German. I walked for about two blocks and made a left, following the scent of fresh-baked bread that my sensitive nose had noticed as soon as I'd gotten off the bus. I came to a stop in front of, at a small storefront under a green and white awning. The front plate glass window had Heilwig Doder's Bakery printed in large block letters in a semicircle. Beneath it, in smaller letters, read, Established 1902. I pulled the heavy wooden door open, causing a bell to tinkle. A smell intensified as I crossed the threshold. A large, middle-aged human woman was behind the counter. She waved at me. Hello. 
She said, how can I help you today? Uh, I said, uh, yes. Do you, I looked down at the glass counter. She was standing behind. It was well stocked with all sorts of cakes and pastries. Do you have any skiterta today? Oh, you're in luck. Made fresh this morning, topped with blueberries. She turned, bustling to a pie rack that I hadn't seen when I walked in. She returned in a moment with a large round cake and a tin and set it on the counter. Looks good to me, I said, reaching for my wallet. I'm uh, heading to my parents' place for dinner and wanted to bring something. She nodded and pulled a box out from beneath the counter. Not a problem. Is your family Icelandic? My mother's side, I replied. Been here since the 1880s? Mom's a great cook, but she's no good at desserts, I grinned. She's making fresh, fresh fiscaboler tonight, and I didn't want to show up empty-handed. Oh my goodness, you lucky boy. She finished boxing up the cake. Hope it's not far. That cake needs to stay cold. She dusted her hands off, and I handed her my debit card. Nope, just a couple of bus stops, I said. She ran the card and handed it back to me. I waved off the receipt, picking up the box cake carefully. Thanks so much. Come back anytime, she called after me. Tell me how your mom liked the cake. Oh, and bring me back some fiscaboler. I laughed, waved, and slipped out the door. Back on the sidewalk, I carefully picked my, pulled my phone out of my pocket, checking the time. I slipped it back in and turned around, picking up the pace as I retraced my steps. This time, I crossed the street to the bus stop on the opposite side. A few minutes later, which I spent clutching the cake box as tightly as I dared, and another bus came grinding to a halt. I climbed up, carefully flashing my student ID, and found a seat. The bus eased away from the sidewalk and trundled through Grunstadt, heading slowly southwest. The street names switched from German to Italian and then back to English by the time we stopped again. The lights of the marquee flashed South Beckettsville as a few slightly haggard-looking humans climbed up the steps. Looking out the window, I watched this new neighborhood roll, roll slowly by. The age of the buildings here seemed about the same as in Grunstadt, but they certainly weren't quite as well-maintained in many places. Still, the streets and buildings had a sort of lived-in look that I found strangely comforting, even if it seemed like this neighborhood's best days might be behind it. This was only reinforced by the closed sign on the marquee of what looked like had, what had once been a good-sized performance venue. A dim, dusty neon sign, not lit, bore the name The Roxy in looping script. I bet you that place was amazing back in the day, I thought as the bus turned the corner. We passed out of South Beckett, the bus winding its way closer to my parents' neighborhood in Elora. I got off at the closest stop. A few, another few minutes of walking in the afternoon sunlight, and I was at the front of my parents' building. The RFID fob on my keychain granted me access. I walked inside, past the small but clean lobby where the mailboxes were, and pushed the call button on the elevator. It whirred to life, and a few moments later, the door slid open. There was no one inside. I stepped in, turned around, and pressed the button for the third floor. A short ride later, and I came out into the carpeted hallway, turned left, and walked down to the end. I could easily hear people talking from the other side of the door. I took a big sigh, pushed a smile up onto my face that I didn't completely feel, and knocked. Chapter 6 Oh, that's probably Ricky! The door opened, revealing my mother in her usual getup. Ice blue faux hawk, sides freshly buzzed, two hoops in her left nostril, studs in both ears, and a medium-sized spacer in her right earlobe. She was in well-worn ripped jeans and an open flannel over a black tee. Her shirt had the words, The Sex Pistols Always Sucked, stamped across the front. Come on in, kid, you're the last one here. 
She grinned at me and threw her arms wide, her pale skin catching the light from the foyer and causing her scales to glitter. I smiled more genuinely this time. Hi, Mom. I hugged her, careful not to crush the, take, the cake box. I brought dessert. Oh, Ricky, you shouldn't have. She took the plain white cardboard box from me. I'll set it with the others. She turned and walked into the kitchen. Ricky's here, guys. Dinner will be ready soon. I closed the door behind me and shrugged out of my hoodie, hanging it on one of the last empty peg on the wall. The rest were filled. A lightweight long coat, a battered vintage motorcycle jacket, a small bright red jacket, and a suit jacket on a coat hanger. I trailed after my mother into the kitchen. She sat the dessert box down next to two others on the counter, each one more ostentatious and expensive looking than the last, and turned back to the stove where the fiscaboler was sautéing in a cast iron pan and giving off their signature aroma. I looked down at the largest and most ornate of the third boxes. The top was gold foil stamped with the name of a bakery from an Adestry Bay address. A tag attached to the box read, From Mac. I sighed, moving through the kitchen into the rest of the apartment. My father and brother were in the dining room, lazily setting the table and talking. Dad was in a faded Allure University sweatshirt, his salt and pepper beard trimmed impeccably to make up for the thinning mop on top of his head. Mac, who looked like a younger version of Dad with more hair on top but less on his chin, was in his shirt sleeves, a silver silk tie around his neck. The knot was loosened in a way I could only assume that my brother thought was artful. They looked up when I walked in. Hey, hey, there's the college boy. My father's face split into a huge grin. He set down the plate in his hands and hugged me, harder than I was expecting. How's the life of an undergrad? Hey, Dad. Yeah, it's good. Busy, you know. Hey, Mac. My brother waved to me over Dad's shoulder. Golden boy. <laughs> Late as usual. Nice of you to join us. Um, when are you getting a haircut, you hippie? He grinned, showing a little too much tooth. I suppressed a shudder at the nickname and smiled back. Same time you pull the stick out of your ass? He laughed at that a little too loud, his, his eyes flat. <laughs> <laughs> Fighting a familiar feeling rising in my stomach, I turned back to my father. Where's Dagmar? He hooked a thumb over his shoulder. Your sister's in the living room. I nodded and walked through the doorway, took a right at the short, down the short hall, and popped my head into the next room. Hey, Dags. My sister was seated on the couch, her back to me, phone held high in hand and angled down at her. She soundlessly raised her other hand in greeting, holding up a finger, before casually running it through her pale, blue-streaked hair. I heard the faint sound of a phone camera shutter. She, turned, she lowered her hand again. Hey, little brother. Sorry sharing the link to Connie's crypto site like he asked me to. She craned her neck around, revealing features that mirrored my mother's closely, though she had chosen a cobalt blue undercut to mom's ice blue faux hawk. Oh, God, is he still trying to push that lightning coin garbage? And don't call me that. Your egg hashed a whole three hours before me. Still counts. She slouched on the sofa, scrolling through her phone. And it's Thundercoin, Ricky. He's ramping up to release some NF NFTs by Halloween. She rolled her eyes. Lucky for him, he gets free tech support from his girlfriend. Uh-huh, I snorted. Yeah, I'm sure your quarter of a million Insta followers doesn't hurt. 1.2 mil now. She looked, up, she looked up at me with a grin. And climbing. My father called out from the dining room. All right, come on, guys. Enough staying around. Dinner time.
Dagmar sighed, threw up a peace sign, and took one last picture before getting off the couch. Stuffing the phone in the back pocket of what looked like designer jeans, she said, Thank Bahamut you're here, by the way. If Dad and Mac went on for one more second about market capitalizations, I was going to have to fly back to Portland with their blood all over me. I trailed behind my sister on the way to the dining room. Mom, Mom had put a huge spread down on the table with the Fiskaballer and pride of place. A couple of freshly opened bottles of wine stood within easy reach. I pulled out a chair and sat down, picking up my napkin. Cloth, Mom? Really? Is the Rakath coming to dinner? Quiet, you! She brandished a serving spoon at me. I can't enjoy having my whole family under the same roof for a night? When's the last time this happened, huh? Two weeks ago, Dad said, smirking at me. Right before the fall semester started. He held out his plate to my mother, who filled it and handed it back to him. Thank you, honey. And it's been a long two weeks without my hatchlings. She gestured for my plate and I handed it to her. She started ladling food onto it. A lot of food. Who knows when we'll be together again? She handed me the heaping plate. Jeez, Mom, leave some for the rest of us, Dags said. She handed over her own plate. You trying to fatten him up? Well, she's, he's so damn thin. Heroin chick went in the, out with the 90s, Ricky. You got to eat more. She handed my, back my sister's plate and gestured for Max. Yeah, Ricky. Maybe it's time to start hitting some weights or something. Maybe get on the protein. My brother took it back from Mom and set it down. Can't have our future great leader looking like the Wendigo from those potato chips you like. What would Grandma Yuta say? He leered at me. I looked down at the huge plate of food in front of me. It smelled delicious and looked even better, but suddenly I wasn't very hungry. I picked up my fork and chased a fishball around on the sauce for a second. I mean, I... What your brother's trying to say, Ricky, is that he's just concerned for you. Right, Mac? Dad shot my brother a look, who stopped mean-mugging me and nodded, suddenly very interested in his own plate. Besides, I can say I'm not a little jealous. Last time I fit in skinny jeans was 1922. He grinned, leaning back and patting his stomach. Too much of mom's fiscaballering, you won't fit on the throne. Oh, Christ, I thought, forcing what I could only assume looked like a good-natured smile to my face. Dad, you know I'm nowhere near old enough for that yet. You never know, Dag said, pouring herself a generous glass of wine. Greatness thrust upon them or some shit like that. She looked up. What, I read? Uh, doom scrolling and Taylor Swift lyrics don't count. Max speared a fishball with his fork and jammed the whole thing in his mouth. His eyes rolled back. Oh my god. Mom, did, did you say this was fresh? Flown in from the Reykjavik office this morning, she said, sipping from her own wine glass. What, you think I was just going to go down to Whole Foods and pick up a few pounds of the garbage they call fresh? I wouldn't be caught dead there. Well, not without a couple of Molotovs. And dinner wound on from there. My sister remained smart, snarky. Mac barely kept his resentment in check. And Dad tried to keep the peace. Mom just looked happy. Finally, we finished. I stood up and helped clear the plates, trailing my after my mother into the kitchen. Dad and my siblings stayed seated around the table, talking. Well, Mac talked. I set the dishes down on the counter and took the top, off, the top one off the stack, handing it to my mother. She turned, rinsed it off in the sink, and then placed it in the open dishwasher. So, spill it, the radio station. I felt hot around my ears. 
Oh, well, yeah, I'm starting Friday night, uh, Graveyard Shift, the 2 to 4 a.m. slot, just training as a board operator for now, going in a little early to get some hands-on experience. Their engineer wants to switch to an earlier slot, so I'd be, like, I guess I'd be the replacement eventually. That sounds fucking exciting. She grinned as I handed her another plate. This is how it starts, Ricky. First, you're running the board. Next thing you know, you're programming sets, recording promos. Hell, maybe you'll even start going out to shows and meeting local acts. Yeah, I I don't know about that. I mean, from what I've seen of the city so far, the scene looks a little dead besides the Palace of Wisdom. I mean, not that that's not an amazing venue, but isn't it the only game in town at this point? Maybe. There used to be dozens of great little hole-in-the-wall places in this town, but most of them are gone. Yeah, I, I saw what was left of one today. The bus passed an old rundown place in South Beckettsville on the way here after I stopped to pick up dessert. Looked like it was about 20 minutes from being knocked down and turned into another one of those gentrified coffee shops. My mother paused. South Beckett? She cocked her head, not turning around. You didn't catch the name, did you? I wrinkled my nose. I think it was the Rock something, the Rock House. I don't really... The Roxy, she said. I know that place. She set the dish she'd been rinsing down in the sink and turned around to face me, a bemused expression on her face. Her eyes were bright. I can't believe it's still there. Well, it didn't look like it would be for much longer, Mom. The whole block seemed pretty much on the way out. Lots of for sale signs. Ugh, tell me about it. She turned back to the sink, turning off the water and picking up the plate she'd just set down. Your brother's interning at this goddamned real estate developer out in Destry Bay. They're buying up whole blocks of Beckettsville and Grunstadt so they can reno and flip them. Whole fucking city is getting gentrified. Like, does she need more neighborhoods to stink up? She growled, slamming the dishwasher closed and turning around. Listen, Ricky, you get a free afternoon, you go back down there. You remember where it was? I nodded, a little taken aback by how emphatic she was being. About three doors down on the right, there should be a little hole in the wall record store. If it's still there, you go in there and you clear out whatever you can before the damn vultures show up and turn into a gastropub where they use first pressings as placemats or some other bougie shit. Next chance you get, okay? Um, okay. I blinked, but the words record store had certainly gotten my interest. You think it's still there, though? Oh, I've got a feeling, she said, reaching for the box with the skirterta. Come on, it's time for dessert. Chapter 7. Turns out what I had brought was a big hit. Even Mac had himself a second helping, though he certainly was less than enthusiastic that the very expensive-looking dessert he brought stayed wrapped up on the kitchen counter. It was getting late at that point, so I claimed that I needed to go study and fled back to the relative safety of my dorm. The next two days were a blur of typical freshman life. I fell into a steady rhythm that consisted of going to and from classes, catching meals of questionable provenience at the food court, and spending my downtime in the library studying or listening to music. Time wore on toward the end of the week, marked by steady texts from both my father, go get him, champ, and my mother, don't let him play any top 40 garbage. By Friday, I was ready for my first shift, though I wasn't sure if I was ready to show up or throw up. Possibly both at the same time. The sub was deserted when I walked through the front doors that evening. I had to show my ID card and sign in with security at the front entrance, considering how late it was. The main floor hall, designed to accommodate large amounts of student foot traffic, seemed cavernous and liminal in its abandoned silence. 
The school bookstore was shuttered, and the doorway leading to the food court yawned, yawned darkly, leading to emptiness. My footsteps echoed weirdly in the empty space. The wait for the elevator seemed like an eternity, and the ride up to the fourth floor was even longer. The sound of the elevator cables was my only companion. The doors opened, and I stepped out into dim after-hours lighting. I could hear, faintly, the canned sound of the radio station being piped in from the modest speakers mounted in the hallway. I followed it, turning right at the intersection, and arrived at the station. The door was propped open, light spilling dimly out into the hall beyond. I took a deep breath, holding it in for a moment and conjuring an Im image of Gretzky's hockey jersey in my head. Take the shot, number 99. I breathed out and stepped over the threshold. The main office was much as I remembered it from earlier that week, though there was a large backpack on the couch, a second laptop, and several loose pieces of paper next to it. The speaker in the corner was playing the opening notes of This Corrosion from Sisters of Mercy. Hello? I called out. Anyone home? Yeah, one second. It sounded like someone was rummaging around on the other side of the interior doorway, the one that led deeper into the station. Shit. Hold on. Hey, could you give me a hand? Uh, yeah, I... Sure? I stuck my head through the doorway and was almost knocked down by what looked like a stack of cardboard boxes with legs. I bumped into it, and it spoke. God damn it. Hey, watch out. Grab the top box, would you? Put it down on the floor next to the couch. I grabbed it, lifting it easily. As I did so, the person I'd been talking to came clear, or at least their head and shoulders did. Gracefully sweeping ram's horns, almost lost in a tangle of curly light brown hair and sparkling coal-rimmed eyes, bras, brows drawn together in effort. Are you the new guy? Rick? Uh, Ricky, yeah. I set, the box, I set down the box where the satyr had instructed. The other two boxes thumped down next to them. Uh, Byron told me to come down tonight, said I could get some training on uh, board operation. Jesus, Rick, you're fucking tall. What they've been feeding you? The satyr, who I had had about a head and a head uh, and a half on in height, was looking up at me. An untucked white button-down shirt, sleeves rolled up to the elbow, revealed intricately designed tribal tattoos flowing down their forearms. Below that was a black midi skirt. A pair of furry, degenerate legs ending in cloven hooves completed the ensemble. I blinked, thrown off by the satyr's appearance. Uh. Between the timbre of their voice and the way they were dressed, I was having a hard time pegging their gender. The satyr hadn't waited for an answer, thrusting out a hand in greeting. And again, that's with a soft G, not a hard one. I shook it carefully. You ever work in radio before? N no, I said. I mean, I want to uh, work in radio. Jesus, Ricky, get it together. I took a deep breath. I mean,. I like music. Oh, yeah. You and every other freshman that walks through that door. Anigan, with a soft G, turned away, skirt squishing. I tried to spot any physical sign that would let me figure them out. I don't see any breasts, I thought, immediately feeling like a jerk. Hell, they didn't smell anything like the other satyrs I knew, that was for sure. Whatever. If you're willing to spend your Friday nights holed up here, then I guess beggars can't be choosers. They walked back through the open doorway, deeper into the radio station, leaving me in the office in stunned silence. A moment later, they called out, Well, you coming or not, Rick? I sighed, following. 
The hallway was long and narrow, going back what seemed like 50 feet or so into the building. The right wall was plastered with music posters and band stickers. The left had several doors, some of which had glass windows. We passed by these, each revealing what looked like broadcast booths, complete with boom microphones, chairs and desks with computers, and engineering decks festooned with light-up buttons and graphic equalizer slides. There was what looked like a female student working in the first one, headphones on and dressed all in black, scowling as she flipped through a CD carry case. She looked up, revealing pale, porcelain-like skin and burning red eyes. I caught her gaze and her scowl deepened. I waved tentatively, giving her a smile. Without missing a beat, she flipped me off and hissed at me, revealing razor-sharp fangs. I jumped back, startled, colliding with the wall of the corridor behind me. Uh, Anakin? What? The satyr looked over their shoulder at me, then smirked. Oh, I see you've met Soundra. She's the 12 to 2 slot. Don't worry, she's harmless. Well, mostly. Anakin grinned and continued down the hallway, continuing continuing to talk a blue streak as we walked down it. All right, so broadcast studios A and B are first. Those are our bigger ones. Soundra was an A. That's her favorite. Studio C is usually used for prep work, though you can broadcast from there just as easily. We usually use it for the online feed, though. The corridor opened to the left, revealing a larger space. It was taken up with one of those bookshelf-on-rails systems, the kind with cranks in the side to open and close them, like the ones in the school library's reference section. Here's the station library, Madigan said. At least the physical one. A lot of our stuff is digital now, but we still got shitloads of CDs, tapes, and vinyl. They motioned to each stack in turn. Someone had applied strips of masking tape to label several of them. If you can't find it in the library or in the database, you'll have to bring it in yourself. Or at least that's what we tell the DJs. You probably won't have to worry about that if you end up taking my engineering slot on Friday nights. Their voice got slightly fainter as they moved further down the hallway. Come on, Rick. Tour's not over yet. Oh, right. Sorry. Realizing I had been staring at the library, I tore my eyes away and walked through one last doorway into an even larger space, filled with older-looking audio equipment, a couch, a couple of mismatched easy chairs that were much rattier than the one in the front office, a large wooden wire spool that had been repurposed as a table, and a mini-fridge that was humming suspiciously loudly. Battens of anechoic foam were attached haphazardly to the walls. Anagan stood in the center of the room, arms held out to the side. And this, they intoned, is the garage. They spun on their heels, sweeping their arms wide. General hangout slash meeting space. We also record live performances here, like if a band comes in for an interview and we have them play one of their tracks. It's not exactly the region, but it gets the job done. They drop their hands, fishing a phone out from somewhere in the folds of their skirt to check the time. All right, uh, grab a seat and we'll start going over the basics. Then I'll take you inside one of the booths and show you how everything works. I nodded, choosing the least soiled-looking easy chair. It sagged when I sat, its springs groaning. I wrinkled my nose. Yeah, you get used to the smell after a while. I think it had been left out in the rain before somebody picked it up and dragged it in here. They sat down on the couch and gave me an appraising look. You're a draconic, aren't you? Uh, yeah. I flicked my eyes around the room. There was only one way out, the same way I came in. That's... Uh, not going to be a problem, is it? 
Anakin shook. Sh- okay. Sorry, sorry. Anakin shook their head. Worried the Shi are going to come in here and put your head on a spike? Not going to happen. They flashed a grin that looked more like baring their teeth than smiling. Soundra does not like them. Like, at all. The only thing she loathes more than Sheed are posers. Anakin rolled their eyes. You think that those privileged face shitheads would get along with us satyrs, but there's only one way we like to fuck humans, and that's not with fairy magic. I laughed nervously. Yeah, uh, my roommate's a satyr, too. Oh, really? What's his name? Nico? Do you know him? Oh, because we all know each other, right? They glared at me and then laughed. (laughs) Relax, Rick. I'm fucking with you. Yeah, I know Nico. Good guy, though. He's got an awful taste in music. I swear, if I have to hear him talk about how Be Here Now is the... The best Oasis album of all time? Yeah, he's obsessed. I smiled, feeling a little more at ease, though the image of Soundra bearing her fangs at me was seared into my memory. I can't convince him otherwise. Oh my god, I know. It's embarrassing, isn't it? Anakin laughed, clapping their hands. Like, he's got no idea of the context surrounding those, that, that album. All those music reviewers pushed it so hard when it came out, thinking it was going to be the next big thing from the Gallaghers. Oh yeah, I remember that. They hyped it up like crazy. Anakin cocked their head at me. You remember it? What the fuck, Rick? You're a freshman. You would have been like, what, negative five when it came out? I blinked, realizing my mistake. Uh, oh, well, I, I remember being told about it. I I had an uncle that was big into the scene at the time. He was a photographer. I remember him telling me that Liam and Noel were just like swimming in coke from like 96 to 97. He said they were completely off, out of their gourd most nights. Anakin nodded. Yeah, I heard they were fucked up pretty bad. No wonder the album sucked. I breathed an inward sigh as they dropped it. Last thing I needed to explain tonight was how dragons age so much more slowly than humans. Anyway, I'll have you know not all satyrs have shit taste in music like Nico. They paused. Okay, I've been meaning to ask this for a while now. You're like one of the only draconics I know of that isn't swooping over the Benedict looking for assholes to eat. What are you doing here, man? At Alora, I mean. I grimaced. Uh, well, my dad, he's an alumnus, wanted me to go as a legacy student. I kind of couldn't say no. I looked at them. Can I ask you something, too? Yeah, shoot. Um, I bit my lip. This is probably going to sound really rude, but how do I make this sound better? I don't think I've ever seen a satyr wearing a skirt before. Anakin looked down. Oh, shit. Is this a skirt? They grabbed two handfuls handfuls of fabric in mock panic, then dropped them, grinning. I'm an envy. I blinked. Envy? Non-binary? It clicked. Finally. Oh, 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 I'm sorry. Was that a sensitive question? Relax, Rick. Yeah, yeah. Most satyrs identify as male, but plenty don't. I'm one of them. They looked at me. You trying to figure out what to refer to me as? I nodded, my ears hot. You can use they, them pronouns with me. 
They shot me an appraising look. That okay with you? I nodded again, still feeling like an idiot. All right. Now that we've got that out of the way, can I do any more emotional labor for you tonight? Or can we get on with the training? I smiled weakly. Yeah, I uh, I guess we should. Great. Come on. Let's relocate to Studio C. It should be empty. They stood up. I did the same, following them down the corridor. Chapter 8 Welcome to Jurassic Park. Anakin threw the door open and bowed low, gesturing with their hand. Studio C was smaller than the other booths. The furniture was a little older, and with the desk sturdy but weathered, its office chair was similarly beaten up. A small love seat, an institutional-looking one like you would find throughout the common rooms in Laura University's residence halls, took up the wall to the right of the desk. A couple of battered filing cabinets, flanked by some metal folding chairs that had been stashed in either side, lined the back wall. The equipment on the desk made my eyes water, though. A big boom mic on a metal armature looked like it had seen better days, thanks to the black paint flaking off the boom from several places. A ratty pair of over-the-ear headphones was resting on the tabletop, its cord patched into three different places. Electrical tape, duct tape, and a Batmobile band-aid. The audio board looked like something from the 1970s, and the computer had one of those super-loud clickety-clackety keyboards, a beige two-button mouse without a scroll wheel, and an old-style square tube monitor. A set of battered-looking audio input equipment with a dual tape deck, a CD player, and an auxiliary input completed the ensemble. I picked up the mouse and turned it over. It had a little trackball underneath. Well, now I see why Sounder likes Studio A. Pulling out all the stops in here, I see. It's not as bad as it looks. Come on, sit down. They gestured to the office chair. It creaked loudly as I eased myself into it. See? It's like a glove. Now let's start going over the board. You see all those low sliders? Each one labeled something different? They pointed. It looked like something from the control room of the Death Star's laser cannon. Still, I could see that the top of each vertical slider's columns had been labeled with black Sharpie on masking tape. Master, CD, tape, databix, aux. Yeah, what are these, uh, what do you call it, volume controls? Gotten one. They leaned down, their sleeve brushing against my shoulder, and tapped a translucent button on the bottom of the headphone slider. It lit up. When the light's on, lines open. If it's off, it's muted. DJ chooses their input for broadcast, fades it in and out manually, stuff like that. Board ops can do it remotely, too, when necessary, like from another studio. They tap the button again, extinguishing the light. And of course, the master toggle controls volume for the whole board. If that's off, nothing's broadcasting, even if every other input is open. They lean back, crossing their arms. Make sense? I look down at the board again. It seems simple. I mean, I wouldn't be adjusting anything uh, live on the air, right? Anigan smirked. No, but you need to know how to operate the board for doing things like setting up station identifications, PSAs, and shit like that. We don't really run commercials, especially on overnights, but if a local event is scheduled to happen soon, like that secret McQueen sneak preview happening on Halloween... You'd need to know how to queue it up so the DJ can access it through the computer. They patted the giant tube monitor. It wobbled. I looked around the room. I didn't see any music shelves. 
So what? All the audio can be pulled up from the computer or something? Yep. They turned the monitor on. I winced at the sound. Anakin shot me a quizzical look. What? You heard something? I rubbed my temples for a minute. Yeah, uh, we've got pretty good hearing. Dad's Clan Argent, but I take after my mom. She's Clan Snow. Really good hearing, even for a, uh, a draconic. The high-pitched whine began to fade. Clan Snow. Which one is that? Uh, I guess you call them white dragons? Semi-aquatic, so kind of specialized for swimming. Mom's side of the family can hold their breath for hours. I grinned. She likes to say she could hear a sturgeon fart at a thousand fathoms during a nor'easter. Anakin wrinkled their nose looking at me. Then they burst into laughter. <laughs> uh, your mom sounds pretty cool, Rick. They shook their head and pointed at the screen. A small window was in the center, the words enter your login and password in block letters. This is Spinatron. It's the database program we use. I'm sure Byron hasn't put you in the system yet, so let me log us in for now. They leaned over me again to tap the keyboard. The screen cleared, revealing a complex-looking menu. Alright, this is the main database. It's connected to the station server where all our digital audio lives. Not just songs, but pre-recorded PSAs and station idents too. It also runs our streaming station. They handed me the headphones. Here, put these on. I'll show you how to play one. Let me just turn them on. They tapped the corresponding button on the board. And the feed from the database. They tapped another. I slipped the headphones on, inexpertly trying to fit them over my ears. Okay, I said. Now what? Anakin grabbed the mouse, navigating through the database. Let's play a uh, station ident. Ah, shit! I winced as the headphones came to life. You're listening to 96.7 FM, WPHX Alora University Radio, the home of the rising firebirds! I yanked the headphones from my ears. Fuck, that's loud, man! Oh shit, sorry, sorry, I didn't... God damn it. The last idiot in here left the volume slider up too high. Who the fuck? Let me check. Anakin turned around, opened the top drawer of the leftmost filing cabinet, and pulled out a clipboard. Let's see who's the asshole. Uh, yep. Fucking Chauncey. I rubbed at my ears, squinting up at Anakin. Who's that? That, my friend, is the shitstain who has the 2-4am to 4 DJ's thought on Fridays. They sighed, tossing the clipboard back into the open drawer. He's the reason I'm looking to switch slots. What, because he doesn't take care of the equipment? No, because he accidentally misgenders me every chance he gets. He's a fucking cum fart of a person, and if I have to put up with him one more semester, I'm gonna end up on America's Most Wanted. They sighed, pushing the drawer closed with enough force to make it slam. The two to four slot- Wait, isn't that the one I'm supposed to replace you on? Oh, don't worry. He's a typical cishet dude, bro. Shouldn't give you any shit. Just say you're into crypto or not discussing your emotions or something. They looked up at the wall clock above the door. In fact, he should actually be here soon. Supposed to be in an, an hour before shift starts to prep. Hold on. Anakin took out their phone. I'll text him. 
I swear he better not have gone off on one of his ketamine vendors again. I blinked. Are you serious? Isn't that like a horse tranquilizer or something? He swears up and down it's for his depression. They tapped their phone again and then stuffed it back somewhere in their skirt. I think he just likes a little special K for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, that's all. Anyway, let me show you how to put a set list together using Spinatron. It's all drag and drop, like building a Spotify playlist. Adigan took another few minutes putting me through the paces, letting me get some hands-on experience on going through the database to find audio files and slotting them into the playlist. It was a lot less complicated than I thought it would be, especially after staring at the board and all its sliders and buttons. The audio player showed a runtime for each track, the entire playlist, and... What do these mean? I pointed at a time readout on each track that preceded the runtime. Each one was different, but they were usually anywhere from a few seconds to almost half a minute. Oh, those are cues. Anakin started playing one of the tracks. The first readout began to tick down while the overall runtime started ticking up to the track time. When the first number hits zero, the lyrics kick in. Here, like this. They turned on the radio. I heard an instrumental track until the cue ran out. Then someone started singing. This way, the DJ knows how much time he has to hit the post. The post? Yeah, you know how you're listening to the radio and the DJ seems to know exactly how long they can keep talking before the next song starts up? That's called hitting the post. Used to be DJs just had to know each song they were playing, but now everything is keyed so you can see exactly how much time you have if you're, like, introing a song or something. Feels like cheating if you ask me. I watched the runtime tick down as the track kept playing. Huh, I did not know that. There was a knock at the door. Anik and I looked around, looked around it as it opened, revealing Soundra standing there. I'm out of here for the night, Anakin, she said, eyeing me warily. Rest of my set is scheduled to run through till two. The satyr looked up at the wall clock, then back. All right, hon. Say hello to Amy for me. I'll be back at the palace in a couple hours. Soundra nodded, not taking her eyes off me. Hey, you, new kid. Behave, or I'll eat you. She curled her lip to flash her fangs again, then laughed, turning to go. See you later, sweetie. Anakin laughed as well, shaking their head. Vampires, she said. Don't worry, she's not serious. At least I hope not. They stopped the playback and logged out of the database. All right, if Sounder's leaving now, Sean, she should be here any minute. She hates being around when he shows up. Let's get out of here and I'll walk you through the prep process. They check the time again. Actually, he should have been here by now. I don't think he texted me back, though. They pulled out their phone. Cutting it close, man. We've barely got 20 minutes before he's on the air. Anakin began showing me what it took to set up for a broadcast, pointing out what felt like a dozen different things a second. I tried to keep up, but a lot of it was pretty esoteric. I was about to ask them again for clarification on something when a crash came through the front office, making me jump. The fuck? Chauncey? Anakin walked out of Studio C. I got up and stood in the doorway, looking down the hall. Chauncey, you're really late. What the fuck? Oh, shit. God damn it. They they sounded suddenly very tired. Rick, come here. I hurried down the hallway, stopping short behind Anakin. 
A blonde-haired human student dressed in a rumpled red hockey jersey and tan cargo shorts was sprawled face first on the carpet, ass in the air. A weather-beaten Tiva sandal was hanging from one foot. The other was missing. Reporting for duty, ma'am. He slurred, flailing one arm in what I could only imagine was meant to be a salute. Anigan sighed. Oh, for fuck's sake, not again. And that is it for this evening. We would like to thank everybody who is who basically stopped in to listen tonight. We would also like to give shouts out to our voice cast for the night. First going out to Kyrone Rustmore for voicing Wyndham Summers for basically at the beginning. Um, shouts out going to Kez McDonald for voicing Anagen as well as the Baker. Shout outs to, of course, uh, Mythic Fox for being the voice of Chad. I'm Von Ardemont, and I was the voice of Mac as Mac, Chauncey, and Byron. And of course, in the lead and all the other parts that didn't get voiced, <laughs> David M. DeMar as the voice of Ricky and pretty much all the other female characters. (laughs) Um, Hopefully next week we're going to have Sky Sisk back and we are trying to look, find um, more uh, voice actresses to basically help out with the uh, female parts. Okay. So with that, again, we would like to thank everyone who stopped in to listen to the chapters tonight. We'll be continuing again, hopefully next week. If you'd like to catch up or read to the end, you can always find On the Air by David M. DeMar at blackwarnbooks.com, on amazon.com, or if you'd like to just uh, catch up with the readings, they're on the Allura Public Radio podcast on Spotify. So with that, we'd like to wish everyone here a great weekend. Stay safe. Stay warm. Stay loved and have a great weekend, everybody. And happy and happy Hanukkah. Yes, and happy Hanukkah. <laughs>